0: me what happened. I was there. They crucified
1: him. I can show you where they buried him.
0: What difference does it make at this point? back a guy shows up making all kinds of crazy claims.
1: He spent most of his time at the river. That's where I would go to listen. Then one afternoon he just stops. Mid-sentence points and says look.
0: So we all looked. Look he said. The Lamb of God. (laughs) Just what we all needed right? A lamb? That's the first time I saw him. The lamb that is. Jesus
2: you were with Jesus as well I was for three years right up until well yesterday it was amazing he was amazing and the crowds oh, I've never seen so many people in one place and it was everywhere. Everywhere we went, more crowds. They came to listen, they came to watch. Some came to criticize, others to be healed. And he touched, he touched untouchable people and and they were healed. I'm not sure I understand. He was healing people, but you seem offended. He told a man his sins were forgiven. People are so naive. Only God can forgive sin. His followers made mockery of the law, and he never lifted a finger to stop them. He would defend them. He would defend them and criticize us. Us! I was there the day he claimed to be greater than the temple. Then the rumors started. Rumors that he would actually destroy the temple. And the ignorant peasants he surrounded himself with believed him. Worse than peasants. Sinners. Tax gatherers. (laughs) Women. He told me about me. The part of me that shames me but i didn't feel shame that afternoon before that day i can't remember when i haven't felt shame but that day that day i felt alive
0: they knew we were coming now by that time they knew every move we made we didn't know who to trust That that didn't concern him. So, off we went into the jaws of the lion. Jerusalem. And the whole world was waiting for us. They lined the streets. The sound of their shouts was deafening. And I'll admit, it, it, it went to our heads. But not him. He seemed preoccupied. I I would say worried But I'm not sure that he ever worried And then things got strange He made Passover all about him He he said the bread was his body And then the wine was his blood We were used to that kind of thing but, But this seemed more unusual than normal Even for him Then he announced a new covenant. We had no idea what that meant. And then he gave us a new command. And we we certainly didn't need any more of those. So,
2: what was the problem? The problem? Jesus was the problem. The crowds loved him. The crowds flocked to him. And the crowds not only believed him, they were beginning to believe in him. That was a problem. So, we took care of it. You mean, you killed him? No, Rome killed him. Lucky for us, it was one of his own that led us to him. And once we had him, well, all the other peasants scattered, as we suspected they would. But let's be clear. We did not
0: earth king of the jews i should have made him their king i saw more courage more integrity in those eyes than in the eyes of any of their high priests they were jealous ask my wife i tried to save him but as soon as i mentioned king we have no king but caesar they chanted and And then, I crucified their king. But for the record, they are responsible, not me. It doesn't matter now. What matters now is that Passover is over will settle down now. So, what do you do now? We hide. We wait. Didn't he say he'd be back? Yeah, yeah, he, uh... <sighs> He said a lot of things. More than you have room to write. So, do you think he'll be back? Back?
1: I don't know. I don't think so. Either, right, we wouldn't have thought that Jesus would come back, right? We would have expected Jesus' body to do what a deceased body does. That's why none of us would have been at the tomb outside of Jerusalem counting down backwards. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6. Hey, somebody cue the sun. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. No, we wouldn't have been at the tomb counting backwards because we would have imagined that, a de- that Jesus' body would have done what a deceased body does. The last week of his life was a roller coaster. The last week of his life had an incredible high early in the week and an incredible hopeless low at the end of the week. It could be understood better By looking at the last week of the life of President Abraham Lincoln. Look at this. On Palm Sunday, April 9th, 1865, Lee, the Confederate general, surrendered in front of General Grant and President Lincoln at the Appomattox Courthouse, Palm Sunday. The following Friday, Good Friday, 10.15 p.m. in D.C.'s Ford Theater, the president was shot. The next morning, the day before Easter, 7.22 a.m., President Lincoln's heart stops. Nobody thought anything different about Lincoln's body. Everybody expected President Lincoln's body to do what deceased bodies do. In the same way, when Jesus died, everyone expected Jesus' body to do what a deceased body does. And when they had a moment to to catch up to the week's events, they made their way to the tomb. And we have this narrative that Mark picks up. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go anoint Jesus' body. This was their first opportunity to catch up with Jesus' deceased body. They were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, Who will roll the stone away? from the entrance of the tomb. It was massive, it was sealed, it was guarded by Roman centurions to ensure that there was no conspiracy. But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And Luke, who captures, after his thorough investigation, detail from all the eyewitnesses, Luke says, when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And let me just interject this truth. None of them, not Mary, not Salome, not Andrew, not Peter, not John, not James. Nobody was thinking resurrection. Everybody believed that Jesus' body was would do what a deceased body does. The ladies made their way back into Jerusalem to get the attention of Jesus' other followers. And they said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Somebody took Jesus' body, and we don't know who they even are. No one is expecting a resurrection. Everybody's expecting that Jesus' body is doing what a deceased body does. The disciples, they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Everybody thought that it was nonsense. And so if you're here today, And you're in that camp where you think Jesus was a historical figure or he lived a life worth emulating. But this idea of resurrection, let me just tell you, you could have hung out with some of Jesus' best friends because they too thought the whole idea was nonsense. Peter, however, Peter got up even as 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 scared as he was, he got up and he ran to the tomb. And bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. These are the very strips that Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus used to quickly wrap Jesus' body for burial. And he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Interestingly, the disciples, the eyewitnesses, document document. Their own disbelief. They documented it. They were honest. None of them expected anything different with Jesus' body. Then that evening, Sunday evening, Jesus shows up, no doubt, with a grin on his face. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked, for fear of the Jewish leaders. Their leader had been taken out. They knew they were next. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. And Jesus said to them what he often said to his followers when they thought their life was in peril, when they were in a boat that was about to capsize and could result in their drowning. He says to them what he always says to them when they're afraid of shrieking demons. He says the same thing. Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Why are you afraid? You've got me. I'm back. There's no reason to be afraid. And then he circles back. He says, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. Those three sacred catalogs of the books of Jewish sacred literature. And then he said, don't you remember the bad news I told you? Anytime Jesus gave the disciples bad news, they checked out. I don't want to hear that. Can you relate? He said, I told you the Messiah must suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning At Jerusalem. And then he says something to them. That is the result of why we're here today. He says to his disciples. You are witnesses of these things. You are witnesses of these things. Jesus told his disciples. That their witness alone. Would turn the Roman world upside down their witness of these events, which they documented, would turn the world upside down. None of them was expecting resurrection. Not a one of them. The resurrection of Jesus created Christianity and launched the church. And here's why. Because nobody was expecting no nobody. nobody was expecting no body. They were not taught in Jewish synagogue at length about a resurrection idea. The Old Testament is not overtly clear about resurrection possibilities. It was actually a very debated topic among religious groups. They didn't learn it when they were a kid. But they learned it. From Jesus right here. The resurrection of Jesus created Christianity and it launched the church. And his followers documented their eyewitness accounts. Even his brother, James, said of his older brother, he is my Lord. Now let me just ask you if you have an older brother. What would it take for you to identify your brother As your Lord. He'd have to resurrect, wouldn't he? (laughs) These fellas documented everything that they saw with their eyes. Their eyewitness accounts. The foundation of the Christian faith is an event. An extraordinary event with profound implications. And this morning, I want to challenge you to allow the resurrection to reframe your life. Now, some of you might push back this morning and say, wait a second. You have only referenced primary and on one occasion a secondary reference to the resurrection. What about people who didn't believe? Okay, here's one. Here's a Roman, here's a Jewish historian that actually worked on behalf of the Roman emperor. And this is what he had to say about Jesus' life. Flavius Josephus, about this time there lived Jesus, a wise man, if indeed one ought to call him a man, for he wrought surprising feats. He was the Christ. When Pilate condemned him to be crucified, those who had come to love him did not give up their affection for him. On the third day he appeared, restored to life, and the tribe of Christians has not disappeared. The foundation of the Christian faith is an event, an extraordinary event with profound implications. And now, how do we allow the resurrection to reframe our lives? What does it mean for us? I think what it means for us, what it means for you, is this idea of believing that God is personal. Jesus described God as his father. To make a decision to trust Jesus is to enter into a relationship with God's Son and with Jesus' Father, and to have a relationship with an eternal God now in this life. Allow the resurrection to reframe your life by believing God is personal. Secondly, believe suffering is not evidence of God's absence. If you have been hurt or startled or find yourself anxious by the evil we see in our world, or you personally have been the victim of evil and suffering, I want to invite you to embrace the God of Jesus' disciples, the God whom these disciples did not believe allowed only bad things to happen to bad people. Because they saw their innocent friend, betrayed by one of their own, scourged mercilessly, crucified, and put up on a cross where he would be speared. They saw that God does allow bad things, evil, to happen to very good people, even the Son of God. And so if your faith has been tethered on this idea that God only allows bad things to happen to bad people, I want to invite you instead to embrace the proximity and nearness of a God who is not absent during suffering. Because these followers of Jesus saw suffering more than you and I could ever imagine. And these followers of Jesus, in many cases, suffered more than you and I could ever imagine. Thirdly, believe heaven is real. These disciples didn't believe heaven was real because when they were in Jewish synagogue as boys and girls, they learned about heaven. They believed heaven was real because they saw their resurrected Lord face to face. And he had taught elaborately on the reality of heaven. Believe heaven is real. Fourthly, believe forgiveness is available. It's kind of peculiar in the ministry of Jesus. People brought their friends with sickness and disease by the thousands for healing by just simply touching Jesus. And sometimes, when they brought their friends to Jesus, Jesus would say, "Your sins are forgiven," and they would think, "Wait a second, that—that's not why we brought him here. We—we brought him here for healing." And then he would say, but so that you know that I have authority to forgive sins. Rise, take up your pallet and go home. Rise. Rise. His healing ministry was there to demonstrate his authority to forgive sins. And also, his teaching taught us that our greatest need is to know that our sins are forgiven. And the way he showed that need is symbolized by every cross across this planet. Even the remaining cross in the Cathedral of Notre Dame. The cross is the most recognized symbol on this planet. How come? Because that's the Roman apparatus Jesus got on to ensure that you know all your sins have been forgiven. And he punctuated his authority to forgive your sins by rising from the dead. Know that forgiveness is available. It's available to you. It's also available to those who are indebted to you. It's also to those available to those who hurt you. See, we're called, we're asked to not just forgive, but to forgive others who are indebted towards us, and that is only possible when you know, and believe that you are loved by God. When you believe you're, you're loved by God, you understand you're God's child, you're God's son, you're God's daughter, and you can forgive somebody else because you know you're loved. And this irresistible love comes into your life and you have this unique ability to love others irresistibly. It's the mark of a Christian. In fact, if you have your outline, I'd like you to circle the word love there, loved, because it's the new law that we're under. We're, we're called now to the royal law, to love our neighbors as ourself. And it's that irresistible mark of a believer It's the irresistible mark for you to love and to love. In fact, we know love covers a multitude of sin. When we love, we just feel better and cleaner, don't we? So, today, I want to ask you, how will you allow the resurrection to reframe your life? And when you go to breakfast or brunch or when you have a fun dinner meal tonight, I want to ask you to try to answer how you sense the Spirit might be prompting you, Jesus' Spirit might be speaking to you this morning about how you need to believe. Do you need to believe God is personal? Do you need to believe suffering is not evidence of God's absence? Do you need to believe heaven is real? Do you need to believe forgiveness is available? Do you need to believe you are loved by God? How will you let the resurrection reframe your life today? And maybe you're saying today, hey, I, this is all new to me. It was new to me too. I'm a witness to the fact that God can love someone that had no church background. Went to mass a couple times as a kid. Was always upset I couldn't take communion. And someone came into my home one day. And I had lost my dad when he was very young, four years old. He wasn't four, I was four. (laughs) He died, and somebody came in my house, and I'd never heard the Bible before, scriptures. Someone came in my house and they said, God is a father to the fatherless, he's your father. I was like, just shocked, and she left. And it changed my life. And ever since then, I've made God my father. And as a result, I just feel like I get lucky all the time. It's not luck. I'm just blessed. I want you to have that kind of relationship. Maybe you've never trusted Jesus. It's very simple to become a Christian. Here's how they did it in the first century. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus as Lord, that means you identify him as the leader of your life. You say, all right, if he resurrected, I'm willing to trust him. And you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So, I want to take a moment and pray for you right now. I want to pray that you'll know how the Holy Spirit is prompting you to allow the resurrection to reframe your life. And I want to give you an opportunity, maybe for the first time, to believe in Jesus the resurrected one. Because the Christian faith is all about, it was created by the resurrection. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the incredible eyewitness evidence of the resurrection of your son Jesus. Heavenly Father, would you By your spirit, show us how you want us to allow the resurrection to reframe our lives. Would you just tell us if we need to believe that, God, you're personal? Would you just prompt us if we need to listen to this idea that we can believe that suffering is not evidence of your absence? Heavenly Father, would you show us if we need to, to hold on to the fact that heaven is real? Lord, would you lead us to understand that forgiveness is available? And finally, for some of us who've never imagined ourselves as God's child, God's son, God's daughter, would you help us understand that we can believe we, too, are loved by you.